We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you for life. We thank you for all your goodness that we experience every day, each day, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Once again, as we come to the ministry of your word, we pray you speak to us. Speak to us, O Lord. Help us to hear your voice and receive your teaching. We surrender, Lord, everything, ourselves at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We also thank for the the people who listen to us online. One of the online listeners gifted us with this whole thing. So it's good to have online subscribers also. They wanted to gift us so you can sit comfortably. But if you sit too comfortably, next Sunday I'll put, Venice will put stones in the carpet, okay? <laughs> Don't fall asleep. We go back to, very simple, okay? We go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. That's where it all begins. It all begins there, 2, 8. <clears throat> For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, okay? It all begins there, and we know it, we know it so well, sometimes too well. We are saved by grace, but that grace came to us through faith. And everything that God does is by grace and grace Alone, we are saved by grace through faith. That's why we keep ex- we examining, we keep examining our faith. Okay, we keep examining our faith because the proof of faith is the grace we receive. Okay, please remember that everything that God does in the new covenant, everything that God does is by grace and grace alone. And the proof of faith is the grace that we receive. Okay, and we look um, in Hebrews 7 and 25, I'll read it for you fast, verse 25. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. We are saved by grace through faith, and he is able to save us completely to the uttermost. KJV and KJV will use the term uttermost, meaning that's the level of grace that we are able to receive that we are saved to the uttermost. Okay. And Romans 5 and verse 2, all familiar verses. I'm just, okay. Hebrews 7.25 is what we read and now Romans 5.2. That through whom, him whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, now in now we stand. Okay, so access to grace is only by faith. Okay, maybe Sunday, I don't know when, maybe, I mean, we know it in concept, but in practice too. Okay, everything is done by God, by grace, and there are only two ways in which we actually apply to receive grace. One is by faith, we have access to grace only by faith, and two, he gives more grace to the humble. Okay, so the two things you need. You need to understand without grace, we will not survive. 
we will not be saved. We cannot be saved. We cannot be victorious. We cannot do anything without grace in his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my Holy Spirit. And they will bring the capstone with sounds of grace. Cornerstone was by grace. Capstone is by grace. Everything in between is by grace. It is by faith. We access grace. And God gives more grace to the humble. Keep that. Okay? Be very cautious about these things because we can get subtly be sidetracked by the enemy towards some way down the road. Come to Matthew chapter 7 and this is how Jesus wants us. He himself wants us in verse 13 and verse 14. Okay, got it? Matthew 7 and verse 13. And when Jesus says words like this, you need to be very, very careful. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Okay, now. I didn't say it, no pastor said it, no apostle said it, no prophet said it, he himself said it. Okay, he said very few. Okay, because you and I have to get our fundamentals right. Fundamentals right. And these fundamentals are true every time, every day of your life. This is how it works, salvation works. And we have to be saved to the uttermost. Like, like simple example, personally for me, I learned to drive a scooter 28 years ago, 2020, right? So 1980 to 20, is that 28 years ago? Okay. You know, the first things you always do when you're, when you start your scooter from that day till today is you turn the key, pull the choke, and you start. Every time till this morning. Never change. Fundamentals never change. Okay. It's not that now I have been driving for 20 years. I'm going to start in a different way. The scooter simply won't start and you will be giving a lot of energy and struggles. Okay. So fundamentals of salvation never start from the cornerstone to the capstone. It never starts. It's by grace and grace alone. And access to grace is by faith. And you want more grace, there's only one way. God gives more grace to the humble. So humility is not a choice. It's a necessity. If you want grace, it's a necessity he gives. And he opposes the proud. And one of the most dangerous places you can be is to be a proud Christian. Because you're Christian, you've got the devil against you. And because you're proud, you've got God against you. <laughs> okay, that's why you have the saying in English, between a rock and a hard place. Okay. That's the worst place ever. The proud unbeliever is still safe because God is not against him. Okay, he's still hoping this fellow will one day get saved. Okay, but a proud Christian is in a very, very danger. So get your fundamentals very, very, very clear about it without grace. So everything we are doing is basically to access this grace and we need that grace. Comes to Romans chapter 10. Okay, we've found it's by faith and faith alone. So we examine, constantly examine our faith, constant examination of our faith. Come to chapter 10 and read, I'll read from verse 8 to 13. Okay. 
What does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be. Okay, that's KJV. I mean, I mean, little changes, the meaning changes completely, will not be put to shame. We'll come to that later. Anybody got KJV? The meaning is completely different. Will not be? Shall not be ashamed. Will not be put to be shamed is something else. You shall not be ashamed is something else. It's completely, absolutely meaning is different. Okay, I don't know how they change the meaning that way. But it's an unbelievable error in translation because the meaning is completely different. Okay, will not be ashamed. Okay, and verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So that, like I said, every verse in these five verses we read, or six verses we read, is important. Because in context of today, we are looking. Every word, and every single word in every verse is important. Including, like, let's, let me... Give you an example. If you go to verse uh, 13. Okay, what does scripture say? For everyone who calls on the... You cannot call on the Lord and be saved. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. Because there are many lords around. Okay, very clear. And scripture says there is only one name given under the heavens. So you cannot call on the Lord and be saved. Bible is very clear. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. And the name of the Lord is Jesus. Anyone who calls upon his name. Okay, his name. The name of the Lord. Okay. Why is it so important? Because why we examine our own faith is sometimes we can start in genuine faith and move into counterfeit. Counterfeit faith because, no. The devil only counterfeits things in the kingdom which are precious, valuable, and indispensable. So one of the things he will try to counterfeit is faith. <coughs> counterfeit faith looks like faith, it sounds like faith, may even smell like faith. But it is not real faith. Okay? Let us go back to Romans 10 and see. If you look at that first three verses we read, if you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, in verse 10, for with the heart, okay, one believes. And verse 8, if you look at, what does it say? The word is near in your mouth, in your heart. 8, 9, 10, three times it uses the term heart. Until modern man, modern medical science, kind of relatively modern, discovered this concept about heart. Okay, before science really evolved, the average man only knew the heart was something special. Like, they, they knew, I mean, when they finally somebody died and opened up their body, they realized they were different organs, but you never feel your liver. 
you never feel your pancreas. Okay. You breathe in and out, but you never feel your lungs. But something they knew was the heart. Okay, every man felt his heart. Okay, it's, okay. They always felt their heart. And it was no longer just an organ that pumps blood. So philosophers considered that your real person, the inner personality, the heart. Okay, that's the core of your personality. So when we use the term heart, all scientific brains don't think about that organ that pumps blood. It is the core of your personality, the person. Counterfeit faith is where the heart has never really changed. Okay, heart has, you have received ideas with your mind, but the heart has never ever changed. Okay, ever have changed. And uh, uh, in terms of examples, you read in the Bible, like when the history of the kings of Israel begin and Israel asks for the king and God is not pleased, but he'll give them a king. And when that king begins, King Saul begins, Samuel will come and he will speak to him many things, lots of things. He will say, these, 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 these things will happen. These things will happen. But when it begins to happen, if you turn with me to First Samuel chapter 10, Okay, first Samuel chapter 10. You, you and I can hear a lot of stuff from God about God hearing, studying, teaching, learning. All these things are good. Samuel tells a lot of things to Saul. But scripture says in verse 9, chapter 10 and verse 9. Yeah, could somebody read it? Mm. Yeah. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, mm. God gave him another heart. God gave him another heart. Okay. He heard a lot of stuff. Samuel heard, Saul heard a lot of stuff of what? He's going to be anointed king. He's going to be the king of Israel. He's going to bring deliverance. All this stuff is all true. All, But how will it practically bring to effect in his life? What is the starting point? He heard and when he turned, he believed. Turned meaning he believed. So he's now moving in the direction of what he has believed. God gave him a new heart. That's the beginning. Counterfeit faith, the heart never changes. The heart never changes. The heart never changes. The first thing is God gave him a new heart. He gave him a new... It's not that God gave him a new mind. He called to renew our mind. He does not give you a new mind. We are asked to renew our mind. You know, you can change your mind constantly. Constantly. Okay? You can change your mind constantly. You can believe in an idea and then realize that idea is false and change it. Replace it with a new idea. That's basically what the renewal of the mind is. All ideas are put away. The ideas, the ideology of the kingdom is put away. But all that is irrelevant without a changed heart. That's the core of your person. It's your personality. So in counterfeit faith, you accept ideas without a change of heart. Okay, in this case, you will see it's a change. He's being anointed king. He's anointed king to reign in Israel and to bring the righteousness of God in Israel. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. How do we apply this spiritual truth about Saul or the kings of Israel into our own lives? Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. 
got it? Okay, if you didn't get it, I got it. For it, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. Remember, by faith, you access grace, you receive grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay? So we are called to reign. Saul was anointed to reign over Israel and defeat the the enemies of Israel. Once a person is born again, what happens? A new heart is given. And you have an abundance of grace given for what? To reign in righteousness. To rule over sin. If you come to verse 21, it is again described there. So as sin reigned in death, why did sin reign in death? Because of the old heart. Grace also must reign, might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the first step of reigning, Saul is going to reign. The first step of reigning is a changed heart. First step. If your and my heart is not changed, technically there is nothing different between different between us and an unbeliever. Though we may think differently. At the core, there is no change. The unbeliever and the person, the counterfeit faith person is the same. The first thing is the heart. So you will see in Romans when it talks about, it talks about the heart, the heart, the heart. There is a, there is a new heart. Second thing you will see is Romans, that same chapter where we looked at, where it says, if you confess, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth. And verse 9, if you confess with your mouth. And verse 10 says, the mouth confesses. So there is confession. There is heart and there is confession. In counterfeit faith, we may confess with our mouth, right, but our heart has not changed. Has not changed. All our confessions are irrelevant unless our heart has changed. How many of you think if you confess 10 times today and 10 times for the next 30 days, I'm an apple tree, you will be an apple tree? Because deep inside you know you are not an apple tree, you are a human being or a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, you know that confession does not change. All of our confession is not going to make an iota of difference unless the heart has changed. Please remember that it's not confession that makes you a believer. It's the heart and the confession. In Romans 10 and verse 9, if you look our confession and our belief. Read verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord mm-hmm. and believe in your heart mm-hmm. that God raised him from the dead. Okay, we'll just begin there. Okay, we'll begin there. If you look at verse 11, uh, uh, verse uh, 11 and 12, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, okay, or will not be ashamed. 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If I am right, been through it, the new, the gospel calls Jesus Savior around ten times. And calls him Lord over 700 times. Bible nowhere says, actually, if you believe in your heart and confess Jesus is your Savior, you are saved. It says, if you confess with your mouth, He's your Lord, you are saved. You and I cannot accept Him as Savior and reject Him as Lord. That's how Saul lost, lost his salvation. He accepted him as savior and rejected his lordship. That's how counterfeit salvation take place. Please understand this. It is not that in one day he becomes a lord over all your life, though technically you accept it, but he shows and the Lordship of Jesus Christ keeps increasing in your life. But there is no question ever or doubt ever in your mind about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. You don't debate that question. You struggle with Lordship, but you don't debate with the question of Lordship. The two different things. Okay. Please understand how counterfeit salvation takes place. Let me explain to you in an example. When we were in school and, you know, we, we were, you know, in your English, uh, paper one, you had this, uh, options. You could, uh, you know, you could write an essay or you could imagine you are something and write a story. And we always were told, grab that and write the story because it will be original. Again, okay. one of the stories we are always, sometimes you always hoped was that imagine you are a hundred rupee note. And describe your journey. You would grab it with both hands. Okay. Imagine you got your salary and in that bundle there was a 500 rupee note. And that's you. Okay. It paid the rent. Wow. Right? Paid the rent. The person who took that 500 note, he went and brought groceries. Paid the rent. It fed a family. The person who got it saw somebody, poor person, with no shoes, felt sorry, bought a pair of shoes and gave it to the needy. Did charity. A lot of good things that 500 rupee notes did. Then one day it came back to the bank in another bundle. And uh, while it was being checked, the teller took it out and put it against the light and found it was fake. Now it has been put aside and if you know the rules, it goes back to the reserve bank and the reserve bank will one day take it and burn it. Burn it. It went around doing good in so many lives, but in the eyes of an expert found it was counterfeit. And its ultimate destiny was to be and that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 7 and verse 21. 
7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay? It will not. It will not. Okay? But he who does the... And remember, it's connected with the heart. It's connected with the heart. Okay. You see, here the issue was confession was right. But the heart had never changed. Heart had never changed. Confession was right. Heart had never changed. Now let's look at another issue. Let's call it like hepatitis type B. Okay. Romans 10 and verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? It never says if you believe with your head. Never says. It says if you believe with your And it says also you confess with your mouth. And confession is both personal and public. It's a continuous process. Heart and mouth. Heart and mouth. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, God will tell Joshua, meditate upon my word day and night and do not let it depart from your mouth. Okay? Do not let it depart from your mouth. But if you go to Joshua chapter 7 and verses 7 to 8, Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? Okay. When they were defeated, first battle when they were defeated, did you see what came out of the mouth? Came out of the mouth? He's in the, he's, he's on the road. He's on the road. Jesus said very, very clearly, The mouth will ultimately reveal what is in the heart. That's why we say it's it's a personal and a public. Ultimately reveal what is in the heart. Okay. And Joshua is on the road to salvation. But every time we encounter disaster or defeat, our confession will always show what is in our heart. Always show what is in our heart. If you go to Matthew, let's look at how Jesus puts it. Matthew chapter 12. Chapter 12. And let's read from verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good. Jesus never said make the fruit good. If you make the tree good, the fruit will be good. Okay? Or make the tree bad, it's fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And he's telling this to the Pharisees. Okay, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And how are they evil? When, though their words are good. For out of the abundance of the heart one speaks. Jesus is looking at them and says, I'm not looking at your words. Not looking at your words. Your words are fantastic. But I'm looking at your heart. When I look into your hearts, and your hearts are evil. 
and because your hearts are evil you can never consistently be good ultimately the heart will reveal the words will come out of your heart and then a good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil he's not talking he's talking about the heart okay he's talking about the heart for by your words i i tell you on the day of judgment people will give account for every careless careless word they spoke and we will think it's got multiple layers of meaning yeah but one of the primary things in terms of salvation is and god will say um, but i was saved but god says you were not saved but i said all these things but he said you did not consistently say all these things because a changed heart will also bring changed words changed words okay and oh. he says for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned by your words you will be justified now remember he is using the word justification which is the beginning of your salvation the beginning of justification is a starting point of your salvation by your words you will be justified so it means he says the heart has changed the word has changed and because your heart and word has changed you are justified this is the heart mouth connection cannot be overlooked so the question is how does genuine salvation manifest and how do we continue to grow in it scripture verse 9 says confess with your mouth the lord jesus and second part believe in your heart jesus is raised from the dead believe in your heart jesus is raised from the dead that's that's important okay believe in your heart that jesus is raised from the if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord first you confess the lordship of jesus christ second you believe that jesus is raised from the dead now the question is of so many things we could confess about jesus why did the holy spirit mention this that christ is raised from the dead because true christianity and salvation rests fundamentally on one premise above all that christ rose from the dead if christianity only believes that jesus lived a sinless life you and i are not saved if christianity only believes that jesus died on the cross for my sins you and i are not saved christ rose from the dead if he did not rise from the dead even if he lived a sinless life and died for our sins death was more powerful than sin death was more powerful you would still all of us go to hell because death has power that's why in revelation 20 the final death is thrown into the lake of fire death has control death has control that is why ephesians 4 will say that after he rose from the dead he took captivity captive 
That's why when the rich man and Lazarus die, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom and doesn't go to heaven. Because even Abraham is being held there. Though he cannot be tortured or tormented, paradise is for the righteous soul. Death has power over them because death has not been overcome. And Jesus overcomes death. And he has to rise on the third day. Everything is pivotal on that third day. On the third day when he rises, power of death is broken. And you and I have to believe that's the main thing that he rose from the dead. Let's go to Romans chapter 3. We'll understand why it is so important. Romans chapter 3. Chapter 3, let's read from verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Now the point is this. What is the point of faith in a dead person? He cannot save you. When it's saying faith in Jesus Christ, it is talking about Jesus Christ as a living person. He was delivered for our trespassed and raised. Raised. It's not only that he died for our sins. When he rose again, he justifies us. If he did not rise, if he does not rise, there is no justification for sinners. So the Bible is very, very clear. You see, now we'll sing, okay, okay, I understand, I understand the concept. And I really believe in that concept. Doesn't stop there. Okay, doesn't stop there. Because justification is the first step of salvation. For scripture says, we are justified by faith. The first step of salvation. Like I taught earlier, the objective of law and the objective of faith is the same. It's no difference. To be declared righteous. To be declared. The objective of the law, everybody is following a religion, any religion, is to be declared righteous at the end. Anybody, any religion, Buddhist, Christian, Jew, Hindu, everybody, no? every religion is to be declared righteous at the end. That's why people pursue a religion. Because they want to be declared righteous. But we know the problem about the law is this. Chapter 3, verse 20. For the, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Why? Since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. Okay. The happy Hindu is the Hindu who has never read his scriptures. The happy Muslim is the one who has never read his Quran. The happy Buddhist is the one who had never read the teachings of Buddha. The happy Jew who doesn't know the law. 
Because the more you know your religion, the more you understand the demands of your religion. And you know it's impossible to keep it. Impossible. Any religion is impossible to keep it. That's why there is no hope in religion. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You ask any Muslim, what will you say? Inshallah. No religion. That's the nature of the law. It doesn't give you hope. Because the nature of the law is that you have to be perfect. But the purpose, the, the whole objective of the law is also the same, to be declared righteous. I want to be declared righteous. Dharmic, dharmic, dharmic. I want to be declared. The problem is that with the knowledge of the law, the more you know your religion, the more you have knowledge of sin. So the average common man out on the world who is very happy is because he doesn't know his religion. Doesn't know his religion. And yet, like, let's be, I mean, it's not a casteist or a racist kind of a statement. Let's be, truly be honest about it, in spite of all the other stuff. If you have really interacted with the Brahmins, especially South Indian Brahmins. They are incredibly righteous. Incredibly righteous. Because they have pursued their religion. It's easy to deal with them. They are unbelievably honest. They have got integrity in the way they work. They have work ethics and all. Because they have pursued their religion. Okay. Yet, they will never be declared faultless. But because they pursued it, they understand the knowledge of sin and they are always trying to become better and better and better. And they really, really have contributed to a society. You know, you always will know any company, anywhere you have worked over there. In, words, in the secular field, I have worked with both Hindus and Muslims. And if you actually find a devout Hindu or a devout Muslim, it's easy to work with them. Because they have ethics. They have ethics. The problem is with Christians. <laughs> because they have, un- they have never understood what salvation is. So they neither have the law, no truth. Sab kuch totally misunderstood what grace is about. Grace is about. Okay, so you will see the the the, the issue about. That's why the the Bible is very clear, and Paul says the law is holy. The law is holy. The law is holy. Okay, let's. The law does not give you that. Let's say the prodigal son story. The father had two sons. At the end of the day, you need to understand the son who stayed under the law gave the father no trouble. He gave the the trouble. All the law-abiding citizens don't give the country any trouble. Whether it's a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian, they don't give trouble to the government. They don't don't need cops watching over them 24-7. They don't need all this stuff because... So the law is holy, law is good. But we are not talking about whether the law will make you good. It can make you good, but it cannot save you. It cannot save you. The law is good. And law is excellent. Excellent. And law is like the countries I just came back from. You know what? Boy, you would love the law. If Malaysia is clean, Singapore is polished. <laughs> and I was honestly thinking the, the, the they were asking me, they honestly, they were asking me, what, I mean, there were, there were a lot of, they were asking me, what is it, because somewhere from Nepal, few from India, what is the problem? Why is India or our country, Nepal, they said, I said, the issue is with religion. The issue is with religion. 
there's a fundamental issue with Hindu religion. It doesn't give you a particular precepts of law. It leaves it open. You can be whatever you want. Can be whatever you want. And you cannot, the law doesn't give you that kind of autonomy. And if, if I were to tell all these young kids sitting here uh, tomorrow onwards, you can choose whether you want to go to school or not. <laughs> Almost every one of them will go to sleep. And if you realize that is the fundamental issue with these two primary nations, that is uh, yeah, Nepal and uh, India, because it's, it's at the nature of that religion, nature of that religion, which doesn't give you. But all the other nations, like if you look in the Christian nations, or you look at the Muslim nations, or you look at the Buddhist nations, primarily, you will see in the core there is a set of very core defining rules. Defining rules. And that rules keeps the system in balance. And you can see the effect on the society. Outwardly, the law only works outwardly. But for the society, all you need is outwardly. You know, I don't want a saved man on the road. I want him to drive carefully so I can reach home alive. (laughs) I am not questioning his salvation. I am questioning his driving. (laughs) That has got to do with the law. The society works on the law. No, society works on the law. And all the young kids sitting over here, all these girls sitting over here, all these boys sitting over here. Ultimately, when we look at GSS, on a day-to-day basis, I don't care whether you are saved or not. That you will know when you die. I am care where you stay under the law. You stay under the rules that you are given. Life is easy for us. You make life very easy. Every house works that way. No, the father doesn't go check with the children. Are you saved? Are you saved? I told you certain things to do. Just do it. System can function. System can function. So please remember, that's how it works. That it works. And if you don't understand, but the whole issue over here is, if you're looking at the law and the keeping of the law to save you, the law justifies no one. So we are not... We are not uh, demeaning the law because Jesus said it will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Not a dot from my word. The law, it will not pass away. The law is needed, always needed. Okay, Only when a thousand year period is over and we have a set of new creation in the new creation, law is not needed because it's engraved into everybody's personality. So please understand how it works. So salvation is not just believing in your head. It's not believing in your head. Ah. Now we have to look at the other side of salvation. Chapter 10 of Romans. And verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, Jesus raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It does not say that if you believe Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you will be saved. It does not say if you believe Jesus preached in Jerusalem, you will be saved. If Jesus was raised from the... Like I said, everything about Jesus is validated by that one thing. He's raised from the... If he's raised from the dead, what is he? He's 
alive. Let me ask you the question. How do you know he's alive? How do you know he's alive? That's a proof of salvation. Romans 10, 9. Raised from the dead. How do you know he's alive? Yes, he's alive in you. He's alive in you. That's the key. That is a real thing that happens. He's alive. That's what it means. You believe. You believe he's raised from the dead. When you believe, actually believe he's raised from the dead, and you actually go through God's process of salvation, he comes alive in you. And that's how you know you are saved. It's not that he died. It's not that he died. Because history, human history, is littered with the corpses of good dead men. They're good, but they're all dead. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. All of them are dead. There's only one grave that is empty. But that alone is not enough. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians. Got it? Ephesians chapter 3. Go to verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Who dwells in your heart by faith? Christ dwells in your heart. Christ dwells in your heart by faith. It's a person. He dwells in your heart by? By faith. Grace comes. You are saved. New heart. And a person has come to dwell within you. Dwell within you. Christ has come to dwell in your heart by faith. That is salvation. It is salvation. Like everywhere I go, <laughs> I have to preach to them. Because it's very interesting. You have a set of people coming from technically Nepal, which is a Hindu was once upon a time until the constitution was changed, the only Hindu kingdom in the world. They come to a nation called Malaysia, which is an Islamic Muslim country, and they get saved there. They get saved there. Okay, From a Hindu nation to a Muslim nation, and you get saved there. And when they go back, they are not the same. And it's not like for you kids, if you know Nepal and you've been in Nepal, when they go back, they have no place to go back to. Because they cannot go back to their homes. They are not allowed to get into their homes once you become a Christian. So they have incredible, that's a ministry where I went to minister. It's a ministry to immigrants. And this one of the pastors, and there are pastors there whose ministry in Nepal is to create a space for these people when they come back, like a transit house. Because they have no home to go back. They have no home to go back. They have been disinherited. They have been cut off from their families. Because when they come back, so you see, when genuine faith takes place, even your families know. They're not the same. They're not the same. And this is what Jesus said, I have come to bring a sword. Like if, let's say, the Danush, right? Tanish. 
let's say Tanish comes from a very good, nice, loving, kind family. All good. But the day he actually gets saved, his parents know he's, they have lost him. They know he's not the same anymore. Something has happened. They know they lost control. And after that, you know what? Real stories. When kids, young ones have come back drunk, the mother cries, shouts, screams, cleans him up, puts him to bed, shouts him this thing and all that, all fine and this thing. Then all that is done. But when they get saved, everything, all that thing stops. They are no longer happy. No longer have. They know control has gone. They know they have lost that person. That's what the Chinese government says. One Chinese Christian, one less Chinese. They know they have lost them to Christ. At the core level, personal level, when Christ comes in, you know you have lost. You have lost. You have died. Somebody has taken over. You know. The struggle begins. You know. It's over. Game over. Your family knows. Society knows. So you have to always go tell them, please be sure you are saved. You didn't change your religion. Didn't change your religion. Please be very sure you did not change your religion. Because you can change your religion like you change your ideology. Like we say when we teach in universities, we say every young person when he's in university, he's a communist. The minute he gets a good job and starts making money, he becomes a capitalist. <laughs> it's a transformation. <laughs> Why do you think they hate Trump so much? It's because the economy is booming. If the economy is booming, all these young people who are socialists, when they get jobs, they will become capitalists. It's true. But it's just a changing of ideas. And sometimes we just change ideas from one ideas of religion to another ideas of religion and think you are Christian and you are not Christian. Like in that country when I was there 20, 22 years ago when the crackdown had become upon Christians and the government was checking it out. These forms were given in offices to write your religion. And they were scared. They came to me and said, Pastor Bob, what do we do? Because if we write Christian, we lose our jobs. Our children will be thrown out of schools. So what do you do? I says, what do you want to do? Ask wisdom. I said, you need to write over there. And it is true from your heart, if you know what I mean. Write nil. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with a person. It's not a religion. Write nil. I have no religion. I have no religion. No religion. We don't have a religion. Christ in me. It's a person. You cannot have a religion with a person. You cannot have a religion with a person. You have a relationship with a person. Okay. And that's what it's, it is talking here about. Christ dwells in my heart. So you're confessing a person. And it's, what does the other word say? Uh, now we come back to that and see how the translation went wrong. Chapter 10. Verse 11. Anybody read KJV? Who believeth on him shall not be? We want to turn it around and make it to our benefit saying, I will not be put to shame. 
Oh, that's a very comforting hallelujah. I will not be put to shame. That's not what it actually means. Who believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Meaning once you really know Christ, you're not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. Those who do not really have Christ in them, they will change colors like chameleons. They're something different, different people. They're different things. Because they're ashamed of Christ. Ashamed of Christ. Are you ashamed? I'll tell you, yesterday when I was coming back, no, I, was, I had to go to Chennai because that poor kid had to see and this whole month is packed. So, well, coming back, I was in one coach and uh, my birth was down. And there was this lady trying to ask everybody, you know, she was saying, my mother is getting in from Nellore, no, would you change? And she's in this compartment and we are in this, would you change? And everybody kept saying, no, 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 no. I was keeping quiet. I had my headphones on, so she didn't. Then when I put my headphones down, she tried speaking to me in Telugu, and I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't speak Telugu. So she spoke to me in English. And then she said, uh, uh, do you speak Tamil? I said, but I'm not Tamil. She, because they're looking, you know, going to Chennai to Hyderabad, so Telugu or Tamil. So she said, where are you from? No, and then she asked me, would you be? I said, yeah, no problem. Just tell me which number it is. When the TT comes, tell him. It's not a big thing. I'll shift over. Let your mother come over here. So she said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Kerala. Oh, she said, Kerala. Oh, I've been to Kerala. I love Kerala. You know, your temples are so different in Kerala. <laughs> I, I said, yeah. The temples in Kerala are so different. And she said, you know that famous one, famous one I went there, I loved. I said, yeah, Guru Ayur, right? She said, yeah, 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 Guru Ayur, Guru Ayur. Then, uh, I didn't say anything. Then she was very happy because she said, thank you so much, thank you so much. This thing. Then the TT came. And the TT came and he didn't ask me his name. And I have a choice. I can say Santosh and let her go. Or I can say James. I said James and she looked at me shocked. <laughs> <laughs> If I say Santosh, I am ashamed of Jesus. If I say James, I'm not ashamed of him. You do not realize how this plays out every day in your life. If Christ is in you, you are not ashamed of him. Not ashamed of him. You can be ashamed of your religion. Because you hear, honestly, if you're really, really, if you're really a Christian, if you're really a Christian, and you see a really righteous Hindu, you will be ashamed of your religion. I wish I could be like him. Okay. You can be ashamed of your religion, but you cannot be ashamed of Christ. You cannot be ashamed of Christ. And often we do not realize our struggles are with counterfeit faith. Genuine faith is connected with a person. You see, I can be ashamed of myself. Never ashamed of Christ. Never ashamed of Christ. That Christ in you and me is the hope of our glory. And you should be ashamed of yourself. Because you know that, you know, that's that's not the Christ in me. It's not the Christ in me. And that's where you have to, you shall not be ashamed. You shall not be, not put to shame. That is of my benefit. Oh Lord, in my office I will not be put. God said, that's not what I meant. I meant that in your office you will not be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. In your sidewalk, you will not be ashamed of me. Wherever you go, you will not be ashamed of me. And that is why the first step of genuine faith is baptism. And baptism is always something that is public. You are not ashamed to declare your faith. You are not ashamed. 
You're not ashamed. Are you getting the picture? You're not ashamed. You're not ashamed of the second part, the reality of true faith. You're not ashamed of your church. Because it's the body of Christ. There may be many shameful characters in the church. It's irrelevant. It's the body of Christ. It doesn't matter. Now, honestly, if it's your own family and one of your brothers is limping, are you ashamed of him? No, it's your brother. It's part of the family. One may be blind. Are you ashamed? No, it's your brother. It's a family. So the body of Christ is a reality only if Christ is living in you. Living in you. If Christ is not living in you, it's just an organization. You can quit any time. Switch jobs. Baptism. The body of Christ. Understand these concepts of how this all these things become. So what does it, I mean, these incredible statements of Old Testament, which is true in the New Covenant, Moses, once he understood who Christ was, was not ashamed to be called a slave. You know, Hebrews chapter 11. What an incredible statement, okay? One day you are a prince. The next day you realize this is Christ and I belong to Christ and Christ identifies with this set of slaves. If Christ identifies with the slaves, then I am with them. I'm with them. Now these trips, like this is one of the most tiring trips because coming the same day, four o'clock reach and then evening to go to bed. The trip was very tiring. I'm telling you, these mission trips are not like what you think. Okay, There's no money in this, there's no offering in it, nothing. And these are very poor people, the poorest. Malaysia is all the ones who are the men work in little, little companies. The women all work in garment factories. Okay? You know what it is? Garment factories. 21st century sweatshops. Poor. They had this Chinese New Year. So the first three days, another part of Malaysia. Okay, and these are all poor people. I reached there by 1.30 and it was supposed to be the next day. They told me it's the next day. But I realized from 3.30, session is beginning. Okay. And the f- most interesting part was the second day. These are all simple poor people come from the villages, mountains, got saved there, hungry for the word. Sessions begin at 8.30 in the morning, finish at 9 in the night. Okay. Full day. And I asked how many preachers. They said, only one preacher, you. <laughs> I said, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. Second day, I was really exhausted. I okay, really exhausted when preaching. Session, session, session. At nine, I, I said, okay, now I'm stopping. You know what that? They all shouted in one voice, please don't stop. So I went till 10 in the night. 10 in the night. Three days over. Simple people. Go to the next place. Next place I have to wait because vacation is there. Holidays are over. Now they work 12 hour shifts, every one of them in these factories. Eight to eight. <laughs> So the next place, you go in the evening, wait, like a hall, the choice, you wait. After eight, they all come in their overalls and all, they come, they cook, they eat. We all sit together and eat. And then from nine to twelve midnight, we study. Study. The word. At twelve, we all say bye, we go. Seven o'clock, they are up and they are back to work. Eight in the night, they are back. They are back. That's why I said I'll never underestimate 
but God is doing. God is doing. Then it is Singapore. Singapore is different. All the ones in Malaysia are from Nepal. Singapore, Nepalese are allowed free entry without visa, but they are not allowed to work there. They are not allowed to work there. Nepalese are not allowed to work there. So all the Nepalese in Singapore are from India, Darjeeling, Sikkim and all. So I, the church, I was wondering, what's wrong with this church? All I look is only women, no men, because there are no Nepalese men working there. They hardly get jobs. And all women, worship is by women, everything is by women. There are two men, and third one is me, the pastor, another full-time worker, third. So, no. I preach, they listen, and usually their message is, and then the pastor is saying group A, group B, group C, group D. This week, group A, next week. I didn't care what he was talking about. Then when the message, everything was over, when we were sitting together, I found all the women are domestic help. You know what domestic help is? Housemates. Every one of them. Those who work in houses. Every one of them. The worship is led by housemates. The prayer is led by housemates. The whole service is led by housemates. And all are housemates. Every one of them. I mean, really was touching that these are all domestic workers come here. Most of them got saved over here. And this is. And what is group A? They get off only once in 45 days. So group A is the set of mates who have come on the first Sunday. Group B is the set of mates who will come on second Sunday. Group C is the set of mates who will come on the third Sunday. And group D is set of mates who will come on the fourth Sunday. So this group won't be there the next group, next week. So you have four groups of housemates. Different groups handle different things and there's one pastor. Salvation is a real thing. It's a real, real thing. Real. And if you think they do not hear, do not hear, you are mistaken. In the first meeting, there was a lady who came from very far and she came forward and said three times there were so many meetings taking place in Malaysia, Christian meetings for these three days. Three times the Lord woke me up and said, you will go for this one and not for the others because I'm sending my servant from India. And he will come and teach you what you need. And then from there, everything will start. And one of the housemates in Singapore came to me and said, Pastor, can I talk to you for five minutes? And I thought, Usually they discuss their problem. I said, okay, okay, not a problem. But I was sitting over there. I said, what's your issue? She said, not an issue. I need to tell you what the Lord told me. I saw your face in a vision. I knew you were coming. I knew you were coming. And he said, this is what the Lord told me. The entire Nepali world, God has opened for you. You will be the only teacher they will have left. Because you're the only one. Because all the Nepalese who come from Kathmandu and all go there expecting an offering. You understand how ministry works, right? These are poor people, simple poor people. Okay. Please understand salvation is a real thing. It's not a thing here. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of publicly identifying with him. We are not ashamed of his body. It doesn't matter. Housemates, God bless them. All sisters, your own family. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We are not ashamed. And we are not ashamed of his lordship. We are not ashamed of his lordship. 
Are you ashamed of his lordship when God tells you to do something? We are not ashamed to please him. We are not ashamed. If you don't turn, as I stop to Galatians chapter 3. Got it? Chapter 3, Galatians 3, and we'll go to verse 22. Yeah, scripture. For the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who mm. believe. Yeah, keep keep reading. Mm. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, okay. imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay, and verse 25. But now, that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. Now, I hope you remember when I taught you this weeks faith. back. Faith has come. It's faith has come, Christ, Christ has come. Faith has come, Christ has When faith has come, Christ has come. Christ hasn't come, you don't have faith. Faith has come, Christ has come. If Christ has come, faith has come. Faith is intimately connected with this person of Jesus Christ. And you're not ashamed of him. And faith always pleases Christ. That faith, it is impossible to? It's God. It's impossible. Okay. And faith comes by? Comes by? Comes by here. And remember today, go, go back as I close Matthew 11. For those of you who read the evening devotion. No? It's a beautiful, beautiful inside by Spurgeon, right? Matthew 11 and verse 25. That time, Jesus answered and said. No, it's incredible. Yeah. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. You have hidden. The question is, he said, there's no question there. At that time, Jesus answered and said, nobody asked him a question. You see the, see the context. Nobody is speaking to him there. But he answered. Because he's hearing from his father. Faith? Yes. Faith comes from hearing and faith hears. Faith hears. Religion doesn't hear. The law only gives you a set of precepts. Do this. And religion brings all kind of nasty feelings, feeling of superiority. You know, that's how Pharisees look down others with condemnation and all that. It makes you proud, makes you arrogant. Makes you clean, feel clean, and the other unclean. That's what they did. Faith doesn't. Faith doesn't. No. This is how you know. Whether you have believed in the religion called Christianity, which is same, similar to Judaism, or faith has come. The Pharisees saw everybody as unclean. The tax collector, the publican, the prostitutes, everybody as unclean. 
everybody and the law will say clean and unclean. Everything is divided into clean and unclean. But faith doesn't. That's one of the first things recorded in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus comes, the leper. Lord, can you cleanse me? And he touches him. Touches him. No priest under the old covenant would touch a leper. No priest or a Nazarite under the old covenant would touch a dead body. Because the law said if you touch a dead body, you are clean. But the woman at Cain, when her dead body, son's dead body was going on, he touched. He touched. Why? Because faith doesn't see anybody as unclean. Doesn't see anybody. Doesn't, our eyes are different. Doesn't see differently people. But the law does. And that's the key. How do you see? How do you hear? Because Christ in you hears differently and sees differently. Eric and I were talking yesterday and he said, telling me, Pastor, what do we do with GTC? Kind of meaning saturated with knowledge, but a little faith. Saturated with the knowledge. The knowledge is good if it becomes faith. The knowledge about God and the knowledge of God. When the knowledge about God becomes the knowledge of God. There's nothing wrong in being saturated with teaching. But when it, no, when it becomes faith, it's different. And faith is living. Faith, because faith hears. Faith hears. Young ones sitting over here, all of you, older ones, faith hears. Just remember how we began the year, we said about God is rebuilding something. He's rebuilding the broken down tabernacle of David. It's very interesting, you know, we sometimes we play like, mix it up. Because the first three kings of Israel is Saul and David and Solomon. And it's neither Saul, nor Saul or Solomon God is looking to. Though all three were anointed. Three were anointed. And if you look at Saul, he was a man of flesh. All emotions. He began well, and after some time, God would not even speak to him. So what did Saul lose? He lost his hearing. And if you look at Solomon, he was full of knowledge. That's why he wrote Proverbs. You don't see Solomon writing songs. All intellectual. Wisdom. Wisdom literature is from Solomon. But God stopped speaking to him too. In between there is this man called David. You look at David's life, God never stopped speaking to him. There were seasons when God did not speak to him, but God was waiting for David to come. When David came, it didn't matter what situation it was, whether it was Ziglag or Nathan, God spoke to him. Or even at the end of his life, when one of his sons tries to usurp the throne, David puts it right immediately. An old king lying in his bed. God never stopped speaking to him. 
So faith is not a matter of emotions. It is not a matter of reason or intellect. David was not an emotional man, meaning led by emotions, nor was he an intellectual man led by, he was a man led by faith. And that's what God is rebuilding. That's what God is rebuilding. Set of people who will be like David, who will hear, hear from God. And they are not ashamed of their God. They are not ashamed of their God. And so many of you young people are ashamed. And I am okay, because I know you are not saved. But if you are not saved, stay under the law. Stay under the law. Stay under the law. You are safe. Don't be the prodigal son. Stay under the law. The law is good for the unsaved. But if you are saved, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. It's the fundamentals of salvation. It's fundamentals. It's not that you will not be put to shame. No. You are not ashamed of Jesus. And it will touch every area of your life. Every area of your life. When you are not ashamed. Because you are a God who speaks to you. How do you want your hair cut? How do you want to be dressed? What do you want to wear? What do you want to look? And you, you may look like a sore thumb. Stick out like a sore thumb. But you are not ashamed. Why? Because you know you are doing it for the person inside. You are not ashamed of him. You're not ashamed of him. Daniel could eat vegetables sitting with a whole set of people for 10 days. He was not ashamed of the Christ in him. He's making a decision for Christ. He's not making a decision for himself. The funny thing is eating vegetables for Christ in him. And he was not ashamed. I'm definitely sure every college canteen works like that. He must have been mocked and scorned. He was not ashamed. This is the reality of faith. You're not ashamed of Christ. And you're not ashamed of his people. You're not ashamed. Doesn't matter what they are. You go to Dubai, when I go to Dubai, they are construction workers. They sit with them. Do you love them? Because you know this is the family of Christ. You go to another place, they're all housemates. You love them. You know this is God's family. It doesn't matter. They are not going to be housemates in heaven. Please don't ever think. We may end up as housemates in heaven. <laughs> they are not going to be housemates in heaven. They are not. So all these things don't matter. It's a reality of faith you have to understand. When faith has come, Christ has come. Christ has come, faith has come. Make it one. It's a person. Man, shall we pray? Father, this evening we just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. You are the Christ in us, the hope of our glory. We are not ashamed of you, Lord. We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of ourselves. So many things we have said, done, but we are never ashamed of you, Lord. Ashamed. Honestly, Lord, you are the only thing we are proud of. The only person we want to boast of. You alone are God. You alone. And I pray, Father, for everyone sitting in this room, especially the young ones, Christ will come. Christ will come now. Not religion, not more knowledge, but Christ will come into their lives, into their hearts. The 2020 will be the year, oh Father, where they will know Christ. Thank you, Father. We just thank you for all the things you have done last month. We are in the Second month, Lord, already. 
We commit this month into thy hands. Go with us. Go before us. And help us to cling to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You brought everyone safely into your house. And I pray you will reach everyone safely also home. And keep our hearts and minds stayed on you. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.